reading from the book of Isaiah, the prophet who foretold the death of Christ before there was even such a thing as crucifixion. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted yet open not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to slaughter, like a sheep that before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked, and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence. There was no deceit in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, he has put him to grief. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know about you, but Easter's my favorite holiday. Of all the holidays, Easter's my favorite. It's near my birthday, April Fool's, imagine that. That is my birthday. Some people don't think that's a coincidence. It's right uh, my Lisa and I's wedding anniversary. Um, I just love Easter. I like chocolate. Man, it's chocolate bunnies, uh, robin's eggs. I start to look like a robin's egg at some point. I like everything but peeps. Anybody here really like peeps? Come on. I mean, what is that? Is, what is that? Is that upholstery? What is that? But the greatest thing about Easter and about Christmas are the hymns. These songs, <laughs> these wonderful theological hymns, too bad we don't sing them all year. Think about the Easter songs. How deep the Father's love. O sacred head, now wounded. My favorite that I once sung at my funeral. When I survey the wondrous cross, then there's that, oh, that most powerful, that deep, deep African spiritual song, were you there? Were you there? Sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. That's a great question. On this Good Friday, the best Friday, the best day in our history, and the worst day in the life and the existence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, were you there when they crucified our Lord? Three questions we want to ask about about that Good Friday, Christ's worst day, our best. Three questions about when they crucified Him. One, what exactly happened on that day? What do we really know? Two, why? Why did this happen? And three, what does it mean to me? What happened? What does it mean? What does it mean to me? Why did it happen? What exactly happened? Let's go there. Let's, let's use our, our imagination. Let's, let's think about what it felt like and smelled like and, and sounded like, what it was like on that day. So there you are in the streets of Jerusalem, and, and there's a crowd. You can s- smell the sweat and, and hear the grumbling and, and see people agitated as you're there in that main walkway we now call the Via Del Rosa. See the Roman soldiers pushing and shoving and shouting and watch them push people away. Look upon a thief 
who's scared and crying out and cussing and yelling as he carries a beam across his shoulders. And then behind him, another thief. And then, look and see, there he is. Behold the man! His face bloody and beaten, his nose and mouth bleeding, and on all that, a crown of thorns shoved into his forehead. The blood is already crusted. You can see where he's been beaten and abused. He's carrying, struggling to carry this crossbar through the streets of Jerusalem, and as he passes by, look at the bright red clips, his entire back soaked in blood where he'd been whipped 39 times by a cat of nine tails, pieces of leather with bone and glass wrapped around him 39 times, 40 would kill a man. Here are the Roman soldiers laughing, jostling about, hear people crying, cursing him, false Messiah, blasphemy, hear others crying, Lord Jesus, Lord He falls once, hear him groan as they whip him and throw him back up. He tries again, see him, hear him fall again. He's having a hard time. And then a third time he falls and they grab a man named Simon of Serena, a black man, out of the crowd. And they go down that road, Jerusalem, and up Golgotha, Skull Hill, up that deadly trash peep picture. Roman soldiers having a heyday, talking, jousting, People crying, people yelling. It's a mob. The sun's beating down this desert town. And over here they take the first thief. He's fighting. Watch him, hear him scream, kicking. As they force him down, they tie his hands and feet to that pole. And they lift him up. And hear the thud as he drops into the ground. And then the second thief, the same thing. He's fighting, he's kicking, he's biting. Watch him fight. Listen to him scream as they drop him into the ground. But then, watch what they do to Jesus. <laughs> See him as they order him to lay down obediently without saying anything, lay down and not fight, and put his own hands up. Hear the pounding on the steel, nine inch nails as they go through, not the hand as we think that would never hold his weight. We know historically through his wrist, the ulna and the radius, as they drive his hand, nails into his hands and he cries in pain but never says anything. And then watch them cross his feet as they drive a spike through his ankles into his, through his shins into the cross. And then they lift him up with a pulley. Hear the thud as he hangs there and it's nine in the morning. And so it begins. Listen to the seven things that our Lord says. They have so much meaning. They mean so much. First watch as the Pharisees and the haters come by. And the scripture says... You can hear the spit, see the spit fly, and they pull their beards out at him, which is insult. They wag their tongues. They say, save yourself. Come down from the cross and picture Jesus. He could have in one second been off of that cross and all of them been on the cross, but he stayed. That's the greatest love. He stayed. And then you can hear the Roman soldiers. They've taken the one piece of clothing they have. They've exposed him, and they're over here gambling for this one piece of fabric as a souvenir and hear the most unimaginable, unlikely prayer in history. Dad, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. And then see the families and the lovers of Jesus come by. And there she is, his mother, who bore him, who breastfed him, who raised him, who held him when he was hurt and bleeding and, and was, was sad and raised him to be a man without a husband because her dad died. See her come with one disciple, only one left, the best friend, John. 
this dying man, instead of saying, Mom, poor me, look at me, Mom, hear him say, hear the love as he looks at his mom and says, Mom, you got to get go home with John. John wasn't even in the family. He's got brothers and sisters, but John's his best friend. John is the family. John, behold your mother. Take care of my mom. A dying man takes care of his mom. Who does that? And then, then it starts. Look over at this thief, this murderer, who is guilty as he could be. He starts to rail at Jesus with everybody else. You, you're supposed to be the son of God. Save yourself and save us. You blankety blank, the scripture says. But this guy, he's been watching. He knows he's about to die. He knows he deserves it. He looks at that thief and says, shut up. We deserve to be here, but not this man. He's been watching. He's seen the love. He's been looking in the eyes, and he looks at a dying man and believes that he's king and God, even though he's dying, his life is ebbing away. And he says, Lord. He calls a regular man a criminal, Lord. He gets it. He says, I know you're a king. When you come to your kingdom today, I know you're going to the kingdom. Would you just think of me for a second? Imagine the joy and the power when he heard Jesus look back at him and say, remember, you're going with me. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. And they stood there from 9 to 12 in that excruciating battle. So you don't die of bleeding to death. You don't die of pain. You die of suffocation. You have a small seat here, and you have these rope, or when Jesus is sick, a spike. Your diaphragm is paralyzed because you're hanging by your body weight. To breathe, you have to pull yourself up. Hear them. (gasps) Fighting. And as long as they can do that, they stay alive. And sometimes it takes days for strong men to die. And they begin their painful death breath, their death ritual. And then there you are. And all of a sudden, that hot Jerusalem, Israeli sun turns cold. And the weather gets, and a black cloud. Not, not, not real clouds. Not, not, just The sky goes black. It's dark. You're there in the darkness. Pitch dark. You can't see your hand in front of your face. The soldiers smell the kerosene as the Roman soldiers are lighting their torches to see what's going on. And then that moment of moments when finally, after all he's been through, he does cry out. He does finally say something about what's happening in Aramaic so everyone could understand. Eloi! Eloi! Lama! Sabachthani! My God! My God! Why have you left me? He's crying in agony, spiritual agony, not just not physical But he's also quoting the first verse of Psalm 22, which David wrote a thousand years ago, predicting his death on a cross before there were crosses. He's saying to all the Jews, imagine when they hear that, he's saying, I'm fulfilling that prophecy. You're killing the Messiah. And then as the the day goes on, somewhere between 12, it's still pitch dark. Very strange thing as they're fighting to breathe, his mouth becomes parched, his tongue is sticking to the roof of his mouth. He says a strange word, dipsois. Hear him say dipsois. Think about what that means. It means I thirst, but not physical. That's not the word you use for physical thirst. It means I'm thirsty spiritually. I thirst for God, like a deer pants for the water. I'm missing my dad, my father. A Roman soldier, watch him run with a steer, with a, a, a reed, and he puts it into a sponge and gets a little bit of cheap wine on it, and he pushes it up to Jesus' mouth. And Jesus doesn't drink like most men. He just sips a little bit. 
So he can say these final two things. <laughs> Hear this strange word, die. Imagine the folks in the crowd saying, what is he talking about? Tetelestai can mean two things, and they're translated that. What is he talking about? One, it means when you win a race, when you, when you were a champion, and you win the race, race, and you cross the finish line, Tetelestai, I did it, I won. Why would a dying man say he won? He's the winner. It also is a financial term. Others are thinking, what is he talking about? It's when you had a bill, had a debt, and you finally, after all these years, paid it off, and they took that debt, that parchment, and they would stamp on it or write on it, Tetelestai, paid in full. Why is a dying man claiming victory? Why is a dying man saying, I paid in full? <laughs> you know why. It is finished. Remember him saying, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. And him finally saying, this is my hour. I came for this. This is the whole reason I was born. So I could die. I've won. You've won. And then, Imagine this crazy, crazy last moment on the cross as he hangs there and they're still holding the torch to see what's going on. It's still pitch black. He's been, his head has been slumped. He's struggling. <sighs> but then he opens his eyes and he looks up. He says, Dad, Father, Abba, into your hands I commit my spirit. He's talking to God even though God is not there at the moment. He's looking away because of, of the sheer horror of it. The father has broken the relationship because he's become a sinner. But he still talks to his dad. Dad, I'm coming. I got a little more to do, but I'm coming. And the scripture says the strangest thing. It says he bows his head and then he gives up his spirit. That's not how people die. The spirit leaves them, and then they slump forward. He said, I'm going to die. He gave up his spirit, and then he, he chose the moment of his death because he's Lord of Lord. He's Lord of the universe. He's Lord of life. He chose the moment he died. And then I want you to picture standing on a hill, and the moment he says, into the hands I commit my spirit, the ground starts shaking. He can feel it. It's an earthquake where there's never been earthquakes before. Rocks are splitting open. The whole ground is busted up. People are running and scared. The, it's, the world is breaking up. At the same time, dead people who lived, who were buried, lived in that area and buried in all the tombs, dead people started getting up out of the tombs and walking around. You can smell death. You can see rags. You can see flesh running. And they're walking around. And they walk around in town. Hear the screams. Hear the utter horror as dead people are walking around. And then imagine the incredulous moment when the very soldier, the centurion who was in charge, the man who was in charge of the whole execution, the Roman soldier who killed Jesus, looks at it and looks at this and says, this is the Son of God. We've killed God. I'm convinced. Then go a half mile back into Jerusalem. There in the temple, Herod's temple, it was rebuilt, Solomon's tomb. There in the Holy of Holies is a curtain. There's the altar where the sacrificial lamb for the Passover is sacrificed once a year. And there's a curtain from top to bottom, six or seven inches thick. And only once a year can only the high priest go in that curtain and sacrifice that lamb and pour the blood out and, light and burn it as a fragrant offering to God for the, for the whole Jewish nation. One man, once a year. Here are bells on him. He has bells on the fringes so he can move around. He has a rope on his ankle because if he dies in there, you can't go in and get him. You'll be struck dead. They have to pull him out. And when Jesus at that moment, Scripture tells us when he said, 
into thy hands I commit my spirit. That curtain, which kept everyone from the holiness of God, is torn in two. Not from bottom to top like a man would do, but from top to bottom. As if God said, enough! Anyone can come into my holy of holies. You have access now. Because the lamb has been slain, my son is the lamb. The final offering, the final lamb has been slain. Come into my presence because of him. That's what he's saying. Someone said that the other picture the Jewish people would have, that when a Jewish father lost a son or a daughter, they would take the robe and they would rip it from top to bottom. As if God is taking his garment and ripping in grief for his son. From three o'clock, the sun comes back out, and he's dead. He's no longer there. They come, the hypocritical Pharisees come to Pilate in their utter hypocrisy. And they say, um, the Sabbath starts at six. We can't have dead bodies laying around when our Passover doesn't look good. Pilate says, take them down. The Roman soldier, you can hear him. This man's still alive. The thief is still fighting for, he could fight for another day. Hear him as they take a club. Hear the bones crunch as he breaks the legs, the femurs, so they can no longer push up and hear them suffocate and die. They go to the other thief, break his legs. In a moment, a few moments, he dies. He suffocates. But picture the soldier with the club coming to Jesus, and he's surprised that he's already dead. And out of spite, or just to make sure he's dead, watch him take a Roman spear, the thick, heavy, iron point, and shove it into his heart. And see John standing there, describing what he saw next. Blood and water flow out of his heart. Why would he say blood and water? Jesus has been dead so long, the blood is already coagulating and spread from blood plasma, from plasma into hemoglobin. He's been dead that long. His lungs would have filled with water as he suffocated, and that water is pouring out. He's really dead. He's dead. That is what happened exactly. So what does it mean? That's the what. What is the why? Why? Why, is it, why did, as... Isaiah said, why did it please God to crush him, his own son? Could it have been done some other way? Is that the only way? Why, Lord? Why your own son? Isaiah tells us, like sheep, we have all gone astray. There's no one righteous, not one. The wages of sin, of us not living a perfect life every day, every second, every hour, of us not being able to keep the Ten Commandments for one 30-second period, the wages of our sin is death. Something has to die. Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Somebody has to die. Jesus said, I'll do it. So it wasn't the whip, wasn't the crown of thorns, wasn't the nails, wasn't the spear, wasn't even the cross that killed Jesus, wasn't the Jews. Hitler liked to call Jews the Christ killers, blame it on them. Wasn't the Jews, wasn't the Romans, although they were in charge. It was me. It was you. It was us. Were you there when they crucified our Lord? Yeah. We were all there. You were there. I was there. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Paul says this. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. What happened in that moment, in that time, as Christ hung there and said, my God, my God, where are you? 
We understand the sins of the world. Every sin that's ever been sinned from the beginning of history since Adam and Eve took that bite up to this point in the cross. Every sin that's being committed right now in this world. Every sin that's going to be committed. The rape, the horror, the gossip, the killing, the anger, the lust, the adultery, the pornography, the racism, the homophobia. Every sin that's ever happened was dumped on our Savior. And it killed him. It broke his heart. He cried out because for the first time in his existence as part of the Trinity, he'd always known perfect fellowship with the Father. And when he became a sinner, God the Father who was holy broke that relationship and turned his back on his own son. And Christ, who'd never known that separation, became one of us. He felt like we did. He cried out, my God, my God, where are you? Is this what it feels like to be a sinner? He went to hell for us. It came on him, it killed him, and he went to hell in my place. Listen to these great, great songs. The words, how, father, how deep the Father's love. They get it. Listen to these wonderful, woeful words. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. We were there. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. And then this, O sacred head, this great verse, what thou, my Lord, hast suffered was all for sinners' gain. Mine, mine was the transgression, but thy the deadly pain. Lo, here I fall, my Savior. Tis I deserve thy place. Look on me with thy favor. Grant to me thy grace. We call it the atonement, the substitutionary death of Christ. Isaiah says, surely he has borne our grief. The iniquity of all of us has fallen on him. Paul says it wonderfully in Romans to make sure we understand this. Romans 5, 6, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. (laughs) Me, you. For one will will scarcely die for a righteous person, but perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, me and you. We were there. Yes, you were there when they crucified my Lord. Absolutely, I was there. Someone said one of the best ways to explain this, the simplicity of it. I heard this story years ago when I lived in Houston. Pastor was driving down the highway in I-10 there in Houston and he's taking his little three-year-old boy to preschool and there's a big Texas Hornet in there with a the big stinger flying around. The dad's driving down the highway. He can't pull over. The little boy, Daddy, it's going to sting me. It's going to sting me. And it lands on his leg. And the dad just keeps driving, reaches back and grabs that wasp and holds it and lets it sting him. It can only sting once and throws it down. We were going to be stung by death and sin. Christ grabbed that sin, grabbed that sin and killed it. Paul says it in a wonderful way. 1 Corinthians 15 He says this, 55. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? Tim Keller says, do you hear Paul? He's making fun of death. He's mocking death. (laughs) Death, (laughs) where's your victory? Sin, where's your sting? Nana, nana, nana. The sting of sin, of death is sin. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Death is not powerful. Death is not a champion. Death is not a victor. He's just a doorman. He's just a bellhop. He's just a gardener. So that's what happened. That's why it happened. 
And lastly, so the last question we have to ask is, so what? What does that mean to me? What do we do about this? If we don't act on this cross, Easter means nothing more than painted eggs, chocolate rabbits, baby ducks, and chickens. What must we do to activate this life-saving blood of Christ? How do we make this matter? Because it's not automatic. It's not just there and covers us. We have to do something. We have a friend who's a police officer. We call him Smo. He watches over A&O on Wednesday nights and just makes sure we're safe. Oftentimes, right before a and he drives up, and he's been from a big confrontation where there's been a shooting or something, and he always, sometimes he'll drive up and he'll have this on, a bulletproof vest. And I asked him one time, I said, does it save your life? He says, if you put it on, if you put it on. My friends, Jesus Christ has died in your place. His blood has covered you just like the doors were covered on the Jewish houses during the exodus that the angel of death would pass by. If you don't take hold of and impute and grab hold of the blood of Christ, it does nothing for you. You've got to take on the blood of Christ, to grab it, to hold it, to impute it, to cover your life with it. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Wrap yourself in the righteousness of Jesus over dead people. You were there when they crucified him on Friday. You want to be there on Sunday morning? Do what a thief did, that hopeless thief. Remember what he did. He confessed that he belonged on that cross. He looked into Jesus' face and called him Lord. He asked him to take him to paradise. And Jesus said, yes. Look in the eyes of Jesus. Tell him he's dying for you. Ask him to take you with him. It's great to be there on Friday, but it's better to be there with him on Sunday when the good news is. That will happen. Now, be careful in closing. If you do this, if you've done this, guess what will happen? Just like when he died, when you ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, the ground around you is going to explode. Your life will be shaken up. Things will happen. It will be different. Your life will never be the same. Old things will be smashed up. New things will happen. Like those dead people walking around, you'll be raised to new life, to be a new creature You want to shout out like the Roman soldier did, this is, Jesus is the Son of God. And like that torn veil in the temple, you will have access directly to the throne of God being escorted by his Son. That's why Friday might seem like a nightmare to some, but we can turn it into a miracle. Sometimes it causes me to tremble. Tremble! Tremble! How about you? Let's pray. See from his head... His hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love or sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? Oh, the wonderful, wonderful cross of Jesus.